0: So this morning we are continuing our series on Psalm 51, a series on redemption, restoration, and response. And I love it when God does this. I mean, I knew that Max and Colleen were going to come and share some about their mission, about what God has uh, got in store for them or what they think he has in store for them. But I love how the Holy Spirit is at work and brings all these stories together. And I hear this morning in your story, um, repentance and rest- restoration, and now response. And the last few weeks, uh, two weeks ago, we began with listening to Psalm 51 and hearing uh, this, hearing David as he begins to repent. He begins with, Lord, have mercy on me. And then the very next line he says, According to your steadfast love, your enduring love, and according to your uh, boundless compassion, your great compassion, Lord, blot out my sin. We talked about how restoration, how repentance begins with us coming to our Lord God with nothing, with no excuses, no pretense, just coming before the Lord, everything laid bare, Lord, please forgive me. And how God is uh, gracious and compassionate, and according to who He is, not according to what we've done or what we've earned, but according to who God is, He forgives us. And then we talked some last week about restoration and how God restores us, how through His Son, through our Lord Jesus Through his death and through his resurrection, we are given a new heart. We are given a new spirit that's steadfast, that continues to follow God even when it's difficult. A heart that is loyal and a spirit that is loyal to the Lord God. Well, this morning we'll be talking about some. So, if we've experienced this repentance, we've repented and asked, Lord, please forgive me, and then we've seen his restoration in our lives, how then do we respond? Where do we go from there? What's our response? I was thinking about some this week, some of the responses that I see, some of the responses I've even tried myself, things like working harder to try not to sin anymore, trying really hard on my own effort, or maybe serving, doing a lot of service, serving others as a way to respond, or even sometimes just saying, thanks God, I'll see you again when I have trouble, totally taking God for granted. But how do we respond when we have gone through this restoration, This we've repented, we've asked the Lord for forgiveness, and we've seen how he's restored our lives, how do we respond? I wonder if you've asked this question, Lord, where do I start now? Where do I begin? Do you ever ask, what should I do? What should I do, Lord? Or do you ask, what would be good to do? Or what response would be bad to do? Do you ever ask this question, Lord, where do I begin? Well, this morning, uh, again, we've been relying on Psalm 51 for help. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Psalm 51, or also, to it's in, this, uh, in the bulletin on the, uh, on the back. Yeah, on the back, it's the whole thing. It's quite small <laughs> to get it all to fit. But let me just tell you just briefly, um, for those of you, I see a few, few people who haven't been here the last few weeks, Psalm 51 is a Psalm of David. And it comes out of the story uh, from 2 Samuel 11, where David, uh, at a time in the spring when all the kings would go to war, David, the great king of Israel, decided not to go to war. He sent his troops, but he stayed home, living the good life. And he was up on his roof, and he saw this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, taking a bath. And he fell in love with her, infatuated with her. So he had her come to his home, and he slept with her. And it turns out that Bathsheba was another man's wife. It was Uriah's wife. And so David, realizing this, and she became pregnant. And so David, this king of Israel, realizing this, tried to figure out a way to get out of it. So he invited Uriah, one of his soldiers, to come back home. And he met with Uriah and he tried, okay, go ahead and take the night off. And so Uriah would go and sleep with his wife and then they would think that it was his, his child and everything would be fine and David would get off scot-free. Well, Uriah, being a loyal man, loyal to the Lord God, loyal to his fellow soldiers, and even loyal to David, did not. He said, "How can I go and stay in my own home with my wife when the rest of my uh, soldiers, the other my my friends, the guys I fight with, they're out sleeping in fields?" So he slept at the entrance way of uh, the entrance of the uh, castle or the the palace, excuse me. And so he slept there. And then the next night, David thought, "Well, okay. So he didn't go. What's wrong with this guy? So well, you know, what? I'll get him drunk. I'll give him lots of wine, and then he'll definitely go." And Uriah had a lot to drink, and he still. But he still would not go. He's still loyal to his, his fellow soldiers, loyal to the Lord God, and even loyal to David. So David, so Uriah went back to the front, and David spoke with the general, and he said, you know what, this Uriah guy won't, he won't, um, he won't do what I want him to do. And so what he had this general do is send Uriah to the front when the fighting is the most fear, are the most fierce, have everyone pull back so that Uriah gets killed. And Uriah was in battle, and he was killed in battle. And so, David thought he'd gotten away with it. So he took Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, into his house. He married her, made him his wife. I made her his wife to cover over everything. thought he had gotten away with it, until Nathan, the prophet, came to him, told him a parable about a man who had thousands of sheep, and then there was one poor man who had one lamb. And how this powerful man came and took his one lamb. And and David went nuts. He said, like, this guy should be killed. This is horrible. And that's when Nathan said, this man who has stolen this lamb is you, David. And David's heart was broken. And he repented before the Lord. He said, Lord, please forgive me. And this is the psalm that comes out of that. So listen to this. Begins at verse 1. It says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray it together that we would hear it well this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. As we hear your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, through the text, between the lines, Lord, even into our own situation, to our own lives, we pray that you would guide us and that you would speak to us. We pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So as we move through this, if you look uh, in the bulletins, you'll see the bottom part is bolded. Um, the last two weeks we've been working through the first parts of repentance, Lord, please forgive me, coming through to restoration and of a new heart and a steadfast spirit. Well, this morning we're on the third part of the response. And as we've experienced God's Uh, restoration, having asked the Lord for forgiveness, having repented to Him, and received this amazing restoration, this new heart, this steadfast spirit, even things in our lives coming back together again, being built back up. It's right for us to want to respond. It's natural for us to think, Lord God, I am so grateful. Now I want to respond. I want to do something that blesses You. I want to do something for You, because I'm so grateful for what You've done. And as we look, David begins with a pretty uh, obvious um, uh, thing to to do, a pretty obvious um, decision, a way to to, uh, bless the Lord is to teach others, to begin teaching other sinners that they would turn back to the Lord God. And as I was reading this, I was thinking that maybe David is is wanting to do it for their sake, to be a blessing to them, so people who are not following the Lord, people who have heard about the Lord or not, and who are living lives that are damaging He wants to go tell them this good news, this amazing news that God forgives. That no matter what we've done, no matter how bad it is, the things that we've done in our lives, the things that we regret, the things we wish we could go back and change, no matter how bad it is, the Lord forgives. He wants to tell people this good news for their sake, so they don't make the same mistake that He made, that they don't go down in flames, with shame and guilt, the sin separating them from the Father God. So I see, first of all, David wants to speak with them. He wants to teach them on their behalf or for their sake. But then I also realized, too, that I wouldn't be surprised, too, if he wanted to teach them for the Lord's sake as well. Because he loves the Lord. And I think one of the things that the Lord loves most is his people returning back to him. So what greater gift than to go tell people about Jesus to go tell people about God's grace and his mercy, whether it's in Ecuador or Argentina or here in Balfour. What greater way to serve the Lord than to help others see who he is? What other gift could you give to our Father in heaven than more of his children returning to him? So I get it why David wants to respond with this. He wants to teach others about him so, one, they don't make the same mistake that he's made, but also as a way to bless the Lord God. I mean, I think about my sons. I think if, I had a, uh, if one of them, or if, as they get older, or if, they, if there was something that came between us, one of the greatest gifts would be to be restored to them, to have them return. And so I see David wanting to do this, to help others as a, as a blessing to, his, to the Lord God who's been gracious to him, to help others see who he is and return to him. But David doesn't just stop there. If you look at verse 14, he cries out, he says, um, Save me from my blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And this is sort of an interesting spot in the whole psalm because this is, again, it's as if it began with, Lord, have mercy on me. It began with confession and repentance. And then it moved into restoration. Lord, please restore me. And then it's here again. As David is talking about how he wants to respond, it's as if it just comes out of me, just blurts out, Lord God, please forgive me of my blood guilt. Please forgive me of the blood I've shed, the things that I've done. Lord God, please save me. Even as he's thinking about, Lord, how I can respond, how can I, what can I do to, to serve you, again, his guilt comes bubbling up, and repentance comes out of him. But pretty quickly, he begins talking about it. He says, he moves on to his next response of, of praising God. He says, um, And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. He's talking about praising the Lord. His first inclination was to respond by teaching others. His second, and I would say his better desire, is to begin praising the Lord God. Now, I don't know if you caught the language, but he says, uh, my tongue will praise you. Lord, open my lips so that I can praise you. It's this sort of personification or making uh, kind of the separation between him and God. Like his lips are doing it and his tongue is doing it. And in this, uh, this is a Hebrew way of speaking about God, of this kind of keeping some appropriate distance or reverence for God. Rather than just saying, you know what, Lord God, you're my Father, we're buddies, and I'm going to praise you. He's keeping some distance, some reverence, because he's so grateful, saying, Lord, let my tongue praise you. Let my lips open, or open my lips so that I can sing praise to you. And so he's beginning to praise. But don't let any of this um, distract us from the main point here, that he's praising the Lord God for what he's done. That David is beginning to sing, giving thanks to the Lord. And this is even, in, as I read this psalm, even better than teaching others, as good as that is, praise, worship of the Lord God, is our greatest response. It's our greatest response to this grace that we've been given. I've been thinking about this this last week. I think of some of the ways that God has uh, restored us, our family, in this last year. I think, Lord, what could I do? What could I do to say thank you? What could I do to, I mean, repaying is completely out of the question, but Lord, how can I respond? And the response that I keep getting, the response even that I hear confirmed in Psalm 51 is praise. Praise the Lord. If you think about what the Lord has forgiven you, the things that you've done, the things that we are ashamed of, that we wish we could go back and completely undo, we wish we could erase them off our record. If we think about those things that the Lord has forgiven us for, and we see the ways that he has restored us since then, a great response, the greatest response is praising him is singing those songs or just praising him quietly. We praise you, Lord God, for what you have done in us, what you are doing, the ways you have restored us. But let's look a little bit deeper into this. See, David says, you know, if, if, if you wanted sacrifices, I'd bring them to you. If you wanted burnt offerings, I would pile them up. But he says, you don't desire sacrifice. And it's interesting that he says that because David is living before Jesus, hundreds of years before Jesus, still living under the Old Covenant. You see, in the Old Covenant, there were lots of different sacrifices for ways that you kind of made up for things that you did wrong. If you stole something, a particular sacrifice. If you cheated a neighbor, there was a particular thing you did. And what's interesting is, as I was studying and reading, there is no sacrifice for murder or for adultery. Those are like the two biggies. And those are exactly the things that David did. There was no sacrifice that makes that right. So I think it's—I mean—it's interesting as David, it, uh, right here in, in verse 14, he says, "Lord, my, um, save me from my blood guilt, O God. You are the God who saves me." I hear him just falling down in front of the Lord God saying, save me because there is no, there's nothing I can do. There's no sacrifice I can make. There's no animal that I can put on an altar that makes this right. Lord, please save me. And then he has this realization that the Lord is not looking for more sacrifice. So God doesn't need more bulls on an altar. He doesn't need more rams. His, the, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What he wants is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or crushed heart, a heart that is humble and that is following him. That's what he desires more than any of that stuff. And I see this kind of double um, meaning here. Is he's saying you don't desire sacrifices because one, there is no sacrifice for adultery or for murder. But even if there was, God desires something more. He desires a heart, a broken spirit, a humbled spirit, a humble that is completely um, sorry for what it's done. A spirit that no longer has any sort of excuse, no 150 reasons why it wasn't their fault, just a heart that is broken. It says, Lord, please forgive me. This is what the Lord God desires. Now, it's interesting because we, I think, I mean, hopefully many of you can, I can relate to what David is talking about here. But it's interesting because we're talking mainly about all this time before Jesus. But since Jesus, things are different for us now. We don't have to worry about sacrifices at all. We have one sacrifice in Jesus. Jesus, the Lord God, the Son of God. He's the one sacrifice. He's the one who died and then rose again so that everything that we have ever done or ever will do is covered over and can be forgiven through him. This is our hope. I mean, not only do we not have the have to worry about sacrifices, even if it would have made any difference, but now we have the Lord Jesus. I mean I know I've said this a lot, but I still don't I can't get over the fact that God became human, took on flesh for us. I mean that in and of itself is miraculous. And we totally take it for granted. But not only that, God took on flesh, became human, lived among us, showed us how to live, taught us what God is really like. And then they hated him for it. And he was, he was um, beaten and bruised. He was um, persecuted, tortured. And then they hung him on a cross to die. And the Lord God, this is God the Son who stopped uh, wind and waves, who healed and raised people from the dead. He could have easily come off the cross, but he didn't. He stayed there, dying on a cross for us. That we might be made right. That everything, everything would be made right through him. And death couldn't hold him even after he died and they'd taken him down and put him into a tomb. On the third day he rose again and proved to us that everything that he was teaching was true and that now we too don't have to worry about death. Death is not the end for us. That we too have life eternal in him. Everything is built on this hope. Everything is built on Jesus. Everything is based on him. Everything we've been talking about. And, and I was thinking about, I mean, Max and Colleen, the stories that you shared with us about how God, uh, about your repentance, about you saying, Lord, please forgive me. Times, you know, at certain times in your life, not just once and it was everything was perfect then, but at times through your life, Lord, please forgive me. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I see how God has been restoring you. I see how God has been restoring you, and now I see your response the ways that you were responding, wanting to go and teach others of who this God is, about how gracious He is. And I see you too wanting to praise Him, to give, as you mentioned, both of you said, to give glory to God in everything you do. All this is based on Jesus. Your story of repentance. Lord, please forgive me. Your story of restoration, of how God has taken your broken story and made it new and good again, or is in the process of doing it maybe you're in the still just in the beginning you see only a flicker of light have hope all this is based on jesus and he is the one who does it even our response is based on him the ways that we want to go and teach others or even just praise him it's all based on jesus so for these last three weeks we've been following psalm 51 watching it following it as a guide We begin with the first line of the whole thing. It says, Lord, have mercy on me. That's where we begin with repentance. Humility, utter brokenness, no pretense, no excuses. Lord, forgive me. And then we rely on the Lord God. According to his steadfast love, according to his uh, amazing compassion, Lord, blot out our sin. Everything depends on him. And he does. He restores us. He gives us a new heart, a heart that is uh, new and a heart that is soft, He gives us a steadfast spirit, a spirit that doesn't waver, that doesn't give up, that continues to follow him even when it's difficult. And he leads all of us into this response, this response of teaching others, but even more than that, this response of praise.